Kristen, Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Or Happy Holidays. I don't, you know. We seasons should, greetings. So, okay, there you go. Seasons greetings. Uh, it's Christmas, Christmas week, Christmas weekend. You may be wondering, where's the Christmas movie? You've got, we've got eight movies opening up on Christmas Day. Eight movies. Where's the Christmas movie? Hold on. That one in the concentration camp. That's not <laughs> the World War II, the prison camp, the yes, World War II yes. camp. And that's not, doesn't seem Christmassy. What about, what about that one about the guy going on four tours of duty? Right. <laughs> the, one, the, most, the most lethal uh, sniper in U.S. military history, yeah. American sniper. You can shoot from a mile away. Not, not that Christmassy, right? Mm. The, uh, we've got a whole bevy of Christmas movies here. <laughs> None of them seem that holiday-ish, but we might have one. We might have one that could fit the requirements of a Christmas movie. We're going to discuss all eight of these movies and pick the one that we think is your best bet, perhaps, mm. for a Christmas holiday. We're going to do all that. Plus, we have a very special edition of Sweatpants this week focused on Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, the 50th anniversary. But before we get to all that, let's introduce ourselves. I'm Kristen Meinzer, culture producer for The Takeaway. And I'm Rafer Guzman, film critic for Newsday. And this is Movie Date. Princes wait there in the world, it's true. Princes, yes, but wolves and humans, too. Stay at home. That's Meryl Streep singing there, isn't it? That's Meryl Streep, the great Meryl Streep. Yes, you know, she is playing the witch in the new Rob Marshall movie, Into the Woods, which is an adaptation of the Stephen Sondheim Broadway musical. This musical from back in the 1980s was a huge hit, and I'm just going to say up front, full disclosure, listeners, I was never a fan of that. So, Why not? So my... Review is going to be very colored by that. Well, I think that Sondheim's music in this is, how can I put this nicely? Maybe too sophisticated for me. Hmm. It's very truncated at points. Things mm-hmm. don't really, they, they frequently feel that they aren't going to a complete place that I want them to. They're trying hmm. to challenge me instead. The okay. Mu- the yes. musical pieces. Yes. And maybe I don't want to be challenged. <laughs> maybe I don't. You're just not in the mood. No, I don't want to be challenged. I just want to sit there and look at the pretty costumes. I want to feel deeply. There are a few songs that I don't think are overly challenging. There's one with two princes that are singing that I think is hilarious. And a couple of the witches' songs are great. But so that's my full disclosure. I'm not a huge fan of this musical. Okay. But, Rafer, you're coming in with more fresh ears and fresh eyes with this because you didn't really have any preconceived ideas about Into the Woods. No, I did not. Um, and, and for those who don't know the musical, this is a, uh, a, a kind of psychological, uh, mythological take on the grim fairy tales, the classic grim fairy tales, um, you know, Little Red Riding Hood, Jack and the Beanstalk, Cinderella, etc., they're all kind of uh, intertwined into one little village. Uh, their stories overlap. Meryl Streep plays the witch. Uh, Emily Blunt and James Corden play uh, the baker and his wife, a childless couple who appeal to the witch, hoping to have a child. Anna Kendrick is Cinderella. Johnny Depp is the wolf. <laughs> uh, and, you know, what we're looking at here is not so much your straight-ahead fairy tale, but what these fairy tales mean. So, Kristen, let's talk first about Meryl Streep as the witch. I think she's terrific as the witch. She brings such a nice sense of humor to the role. And I was initially a little bit, hmm, I'm not sure about this because Bernadette Peters is really right, the she, one who people know as the witch. Right. Anyone who is familiar with the stage production. And, you know, she also brought some snark, some sense of humor. She was much younger when she played the role. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, Meryl Streep, I've really come to like her in musicals over the years, including... 
that movie you hate, Mamma Mia. Oh, yeah, that's Mamma Mia. <laughs> right. I almost don't really count that as a musical, frankly. <laughs> but okay. Um, what, I, what I love about this about this musical, I guess I would say, is the is what you were saying, the intellectual strain that's in it. You know, it was based on, it was inspired by uh, the Bruno Bettelheim book, uh, The Uses of Enchantment, which is one of these books that sort of delves into, uh, the, you know, the, the, the meaning, the mythology, uh, what's going on actually in these fairy tales. And so you get a lot of that, uh, you know, what it, what it means to swindle somebody, what, you know, what the consequences are, uh, what it means to go into the woods and what you learn there. Um, there's a, my favorite scene in this uh, movie is when Little Red Riding Hood gets attacked by the wolf. She escapes and she sings this terrific song uh, about how she was really scared, but she keeps correcting herself saying, well, excited and scared. And I, <laughs> I was kind of thinking, what are you talking about there, Red Riding Hood, exactly? What do you mean by that? I think, I think I, we all know. I think we all know. Yeah. Um, so there's all this subtext that's been brought to the fore, and I like that about the movie. I think the problem is, for me... These characters don't really feel like people. They don't feel like characters. They feel like symbols. They feel like archetypes. They never mm-hmm. quite live and breathe. And so, you, and so even when I was done with the film and I felt that I had learned all these profound kind of Bettelheim slash Joseph Campbell lessons <laughs> and, I, and my mind was really working and I was really thinking on a deep level, I didn't feel emotionally invested. So overall, are you saying – not a good date for you, Rafer? No, I think Into the Woods is an okay date. I have a, I, I'm curious to see how it's going to fare because it's rather dark and rather sophisticated and a little heavy for a children's film. And yet it's a musical about fairy tales and I'm not sure it's quite adult enough to really please adults. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I'm not sure where this movie falls. But I think Into the Woods is an okay date. All right. I think Into the Woods is okay also, but again, I'm going in with that prejudice in advance of not being a big fan of the musical. I do think that people who are fans of the musical, are, though, are probably going to like this a lot because it does look good, too. So by process of elimination, that is not your Christmas movie. That is not! But uh, maybe the next movie will be. The Gambler? <laughs> with <laughs> You're laughing already. You know I love some Marky Mark. <laughs> Although I do not want you to be pardoned, Marky Mark, for what you did when you were a ruthless, racist teenager. Yeah, I, that whole thing is a little, uh, that's a little upsetting, right? That he wants to be pardoned for all that stuff because he's trying to open up a restaurant. Is that right? In Well, he claims it's because he wants to show the world that anybody can remake themselves and become a better man. Mm-hmm. And if I'm pardoned, that will be foolproof that I became a better man. Right. Okay. But you don't think that you don't think the fact that there's a, a some other other thing. Am I just you did blind one man and you beat another one down so bad. I mean that you were breaking actual wooden, you know, sticks on people. You, you know. Yeah. If I were the person who was blinded, I would be like, yeah, you blinded me. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, uh, your favorite non-pardoned actor in The Gambler is playing uh, Jim Bennett. He is a literature professor at a university in Los Angeles who also happens to be a severe gambling addict who gets himself uh, tens of thousands, then hundreds of thousands of dollars into debt with several uh, underworld figures. And he has to try to figure out a way to get himself out of this hole. Here's a clip. I've seen you be half a million dollars up. I've been up two and a half million dollars. Why do you want door number three? How else do I get out? If I give you this money and you don't pay me back, there are no rules. Do you understand the gravity of your situation? 
I understand. So that's John Goodman as sort of the king of the kingpins. Love him. Yes. His name is only Frank. He's not as <laughs> Frank. Um, so th- this is a remake, actually, of a 1974 film, which has got a sort of a following. It was written by James Toback, um, the filmmaker James Toback, who himself was a teacher and a gambling addict. And so it's semi-autobiographical. The original had James Caan. I'll say one thing about Marky Mark's performance, and it goes back to the James Caan performance as well. Both of these guys are kind of rough-edged actors, right? They're they're blue collar, blue collar. Yeah, they're kind of, they have a certain kind of working class, rough masculinity about them that works in the casino when they're in the casino scenes and when they're kind of tangling a bit with those mob figures. They can be pretty electrifying, uh, and and Mark Wahlberg is very good in those scenes. He's very funny. He's snappy. He's got a fast mouth. He's always insulting people and saying nasty things to, you know, the card the card people, the card shark will, you know, he'll he'll place a bet, and the and the card shark will say that's a very large bet, and Marky Mark will say, are you are you a dealer? Or are you a financial counselor? You know, <laughs> deal me in. And he's good. He's got this great delivery. As a literature professor, when he's talking about the intricacies of Shakespeare, I'm just going to say it doesn't quite work that well. Um, My main problem, though, with this film is there is almost zero action in the film. Mostly it's Marky Mark borrowing vast sums of money from people, and for some reason they keep giving him the money. And eventually you start to realize that this is all just kind of a game for William Monaghan, the screenwriter who wrote The Departed, to kind of deliver these long, funny, erudite speeches and kind of talk about gambling and philosophy and literature. And after a while, it kind of bogs down and you're not really sure what you're watching. Um, the one thing I will say, Jessica Lang plays uh, Marky Mark's mother and she's pretty good in the role. It's oh, nice I to see Jessica her again. Lang. Yeah, she's yeah. great. But I'm going to tell you the gambler is not a very good date. Oh, well, I'm not sad I missed it then. It doesn't sound like the Christmas miracle I need this it's, year. It, it's not your Christmas movie. <laughs> well... Maybe this next movie will be. Now, Rafer, you didn't get a chance to see this. Two Days, One Night. With Marion Cotillard. Yes, who you and your colleagues at the New York Film Critics Circle just voted Best Actress of the Year. I and... voted for somebody else, but oh, yes, you're right. Oh, Rafer! So I'm just saying. Well, that's because you didn't see this movie. That's right. Maybe if you saw this movie, you not would fair. change your mind. Not so fair. we're not going to play a clip because it's entirely in French. And <laughs> we know a few of our listeners do speak French. But, we do have a few, yeah. But, but most of you don't speak French. So this is about Sandra. She's a young Belgian mother. And so while she's been on leave, she finds out that her uh, colleagues at the plant, that they've all been offered a raise if they don't hire her back. So That's grim. Isn't that horrible? And, you know, we're talking about very working class. We're not talking Marky Mark working class here. We're talking <laughs> you're making less than 20000 a year and you're trying to support your family and you're barely getting by. You may not have anything to eat tomorrow. So she has to go around over the course of one weekend and try to convince all of her colleagues, please don't take the bonus. Please don't take the raise. Please, you know... Tell the the plant managers to hire me back instead. Give up your money so that I can keep my job. Yes. And it's really heartbreaking. And I know this is going to sound like, oh, no, we just have to watch her go door to door to all of her colleagues. But it's not as repetitive as you'd think. Each story is so nuanced about why people will support her or won't support her. And you find out so much about the struggles of other families, how they ended up in this situation, what they're dealing with, what this bonus could mean to them because they're dealing with their own tragedies. And 
it's just heartbreaking, and the end has such a twist that you don't see coming. Interesting. And uh, I, I just have to give it to her. And Marion Cotillard is so gorgeous that it's really hard to think of her as just this rundown. Yeah, really. right. But she does a really great job embodying this character who is just heartbreaking and really delicate but trying her best to survive. And all that being said, as much as I thought Two Days, One Night was a great date – I don't know if it's the best Christmas movie either. It doesn't, doesn't, certainly doesn't sound like your Christmas movie, I got to say. <laughs> all right. But you liked it. OK. I'm glad to hear that because it, it, I am going to have to see that and review it soon. Um, all right. Well, how about the World War II drama, Unbroken? Nothing says Christmas like some time in a detention camp in Japan. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> but first, let's be stranded on a boat for 45 days or 47 or however That's many days That's just not is. enough, is it? Okay. <laughs> so this is the story of uh, Louis Zamperini. He was a Olympic runner. He went to the 1936 Olympics. Um, uh, sadly for him, Jesse Owens was also on that team. So yeah. he, didn't, <laughs> he, got, he got beaten. But it was a memorable moment for him. And, you know, he may have had a career as an athlete. But then, of course... World War II comes around, and his uh, his service in World War II is maybe a little bit rougher than your average GI. Here's a clip. I'm going to kill him. Then they shoot you. I don't give a damn. Let him shoot me. That's not how we beat him. We beat him by making it to the end of the war alive. That's how we do it. That's our revenge. As you were saying, Kristen, what happens to him basically is uh, he is shot down in his plane. He and some uh, colleagues are stranded on rafts in the Pacific for 47 days. And then there is a kind of funny scene where they, they wake up and Louis Zamperini says, I have good news and bad news because That's their rescuers the funny moment in the movie, by <laughs> their the rescuers are Japanese and, and they're thrown into a detention camp for two years and brutalized and tortured and humiliated and beaten. Um, what did you think of this, Kristen? I felt like it was torture porn. You did? Yeah. And it was really hard to watch because I felt that Angelina Jolie directed this to be so atmospheric and to rely so heavily on the cinematography and how beautiful things look. And really, it is beautiful. It's yeah. a beautifully shot film. But I didn't feel that I got a lot of depth of character. I, I really no. wanted Louis Zamperini to talk more, to do more, rather than just be tortured. And mm -hmm. He's really tortured a lot. It's not just the raft. It's the first, you know, after they're captured by the Japanese, sitting in the equivalent of a tomb, a tiny little, you know, walled off tomb. Yeah. And then a camp. And then another camp. Another camp. And so it's four sections of just watching him be tortured. And I didn't feel that one story section built onto the next built onto the next. It just felt like, let's watch him get tortured here now for a long time. Great. Now right. let's watch him get tortured here. Now, I will say this, and you know, you you have said this before. You've said this on the takeaway. His camp um, overseer, yeah, is quite electrifying. It's hard not to just like stare at him. And uh, I, I also just think he's gorgeous to look at. Well, he is. Uh, I, this is a really daring casting choice by Angelina Jolie. Um, this is a pivotal role, uh, a real-life figure, by by the way, a guy known as the Bird, one of the most notorious Japanese camp commanders in history. Um, and Angelina Jolie gives the role to a guy named Miyavi, this one-named Japanese rock star who nobody outside of Japan knows. Um, I've seen his rock videos. I'll just tell you they're terrible. <laughs> but he's super hot. He's 6'1", has these giant eyes. He's great-looking really guy. Really beautiful, yeah. And he, 
he just knocks it out of the park as as the bird. He is there is something about him that is he's sensual and he's sadistic and but he also seems like a child inside and he seems to have some kind of weird affinity or affection or some kind of desire for love from Louis Zamperini and they form this weird relationship. But frankly, when Miyavi came on the screen, all of a sudden the movie just came to life. And and I think part of the reason is because now you have a villain and it kind of gives uh, uh, Zamperini, played by Jack O'Connell, it kind of gives him a purpose and it gives you something to fight against. Um, but more than that, his his character is just so complicated and fascinating and he's just great. He just owns the movie. Um, Jack O'Connell is Zamperini. Not like, so much. He just doesn't really register. You don't really know much what's – he's kind of a Christ figure in a way in the film and there's not a lot of depth to him. You're right. I thought Unbroken – you know, if it – Miyabi is sensational but I thought the movie on a, as a whole was okay. Mm. You know, I thought it was it was it was well crafted. It's solid. It's a it's a real and it's a compelling story. The movie itself, Unbroken, is okay. I thought Unbroken was not a good date. Oh, not a you no. really you really would I, I really I felt go like, negative. I felt I was being tortured. Really? Yeah, I okay. was broken by Unbroken. <laughs> Yes, okay. I was. Is this your Christmas movie? No. Darn. It's not my Christmas movie. But when we come back from the break, maybe we will have a Christmas movie in there somewhere because I need to come up with some movie to watch on Christmas this year in the theaters, right? I know, so I know. our listeners, movie daters, I know you need a movie for Christmas. So when we come back, we'll go through several more movies and, of course, our anniversary conversation about Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, all that in a moment. Have a holly jolly. It's the best time of the year I don't know if there'll be snow But have a cup of cheer I'm Rafer Guzman. And I'm Kristen Meinzer. And this is Movie Date. And you can always visit us at facebook.com slash moviedatepodcast. You know, Rafer, you and I took a cute little picture in front of a Christmas tree a couple days ago and put it up there on that Facebook page. It was adorable, wasn't it? Yeah, we look so holly and jolly and all that stuff. Yeah. We should, you know, maybe we should have worn costumes. Oh, I'm glad we didn't. <laughs> Boy, I'm glad. We could have gotten some elf hats or no something. Elf, no elf, no elf business for me. No, none for you? No, thank you. Okay. No, thank right. you. Maybe I can convince you next year. I could maybe go as an angel. <laughs> I'm just kidding. No, no costumes. No costumes. All right, Kristen, let's see if our next movie could be the Christmas movie you've all been waiting for, American Sniper. <laughs> yes! It's based on the real experiences of Chris Kyle. He was a SEAL sniper, arguably the best sniper in U.S. history. He could shoot from a mile away with unbelievable accuracy. He did four tours of duty, and... This film follows his story and what toll these continuous tours of duty have on his relationship with his wife and with his kids. His wife is played by Sienna Miller. He's played by Bradley Cooper. Here is a clip. Tell me why you do it. Come on. I want to understand. Babe, I do it for you. You know that I do to protect no, you. No, you don't. Yes, I do. I'm here. Your family is here. Your children have no father. You have to serve my country. You don't know when to quit. All right. Well, the first thing we've got to talk about is how did you like Bradley Cooper? Because this is a central role. Obviously, this is he's carrying this film, and it's kind of an unusual role for him. I think he's kind of terrifying. I think yeah? he's very um, 
remember back in the Wedding Crashers, mm-hmm. Bradley Cooper back then, where he put on a, a bunch of extra weight and looked beefy, and he was like a hmm. preppy lacrosse playing yeah. douchebag. Yeah. So he put on a bunch of weight for this movie too. Yeah. Um, and and he reminded me of that guy who you know, might be a loose cannon and he's just big and overly masculine and yep. which is appropriate for this role. Yep. And he might be a little bit unhinged and, you know, he might get into a fight at any moment or throw some punches. So I think physically he transformed himself well and he definitely has the intensity you need for this character. He's very, very intense in this movie. Yeah. What did you think, Rafer? I thought he was great. I thought he was I thought he 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 like you said, he looks good and and he's not um He's not just in great shape and 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 you know jacked up muscle wise. His face looks kind of puffy. He also has mm, this kind of yeah. extra weight that makes him look uh, like you're saying. You know, on the one hand, he's a you know he's a killing machine, but it also makes him look a little older and a little like he's in sort of some kind of other not great shape, right? Maybe mm-hmm. he's drinking a little too much. Maybe he's stressed out. Maybe he's eating a little too much. You, you, there's something about the way he's carrying that weight and using his body language that tells you that this guy has got some problems. Um, and I think he does really well in the role. He's really convincing to me. Um, did you did you like the movie? No. 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 I, I thought – American Sniper was a bad date. And here's why. Really? Yes, here's why. And you know, I usually like Clint Eastwood. Yeah. But this movie just felt, over the course of these four tours of duty, I just felt that it got so repetitive. And I just didn't feel like enough different stuff happened in each of the tours to make them worthy or distinguishable from the last tour of duty. They're all the same thing. Like, oh, Am I going to have to shoot a child? Oh, is this Mm. person someone I should shoot or not shoot? Mm. Oh, I'm really stressed out. And the whole time, I'm talking on the phone with my wife because we're dealing with modern war times here. Yeah, right. This isn't back in World War II like we talked about earlier with Unbroken where you're writing letters. This is – while you're there about to shoot a child, you're on the phone with your wife like, oh, hi, honey. (laughs) You can be on the satellite phone. Yeah, it's it's just a whole different world of war. And um, so I I, I would say that maybe – you know, you can go in for the acting and like that. But for the story, it just was too repetitive. Those phone conversations with his wife were just the same thing over and over again. Just didn't do it for me. I thought it was a bad date. No kidding. I thought it was a really good date. Really? I, yeah, I really liked You're American kidding. Sniper. No, I really liked it. Um, I think it was nice to see Clint Eastwood, the director, um, like back on his game. Because I feel like Clint Eastwood has really had a string of... Pretty lousy movies, I would say, uh, like a long string, mm. um, you know, uh, Trouble with the Curve, Jersey Boys. Those uh, are problems, but I liked Gran Torino. I did I not like Gran Torino. I know you did. Um, but, you know, but again, I, so I think he's really been off his game and I think he's back in great form in this movie. And what I like about it, it reminded me a lot um, in both good ways and bad ways of The Hurt Locker. It really feels a lot like The Hurt Locker to me. It is, It really just kind of lays it out there. And says, this is how it was. Take it or leave it. If you don't like it, too bad. But this is how it was, and we're not going to apologize for it. You know, Bradley Cooper's character is a killing machine. He has no empathy for his victims. You know, he calls them savages very casually. Mm-hmm. Um, one thing the film doesn't make a big deal about is the fact that he um, had a, a, a Red Cross tattooed on his mm-hmm. uh, on his yeah. body because he felt that he was a crusader, um, mm-hmm. just, just, just like we were all very uh, upset about when, when George W. Bush used those, uh, used those words. Um, 
But the film is not upset about that, and the film is not going to apologize for it. Nobody ever says, oh, hey, it's not great to call them savages. He calls them savages. That's how he looks at it, and that's the way it was. This is the guy that fought for your freedom, that fought in, your, that fought in, in the war for you, for your country, and too bad if you don't like it. And I love that about the movie. Mm. I know what you're saying, that it, it can occasionally – it doesn't have the kind of uh, narrative arc that you might want in a drama. But again, um, it, you know, like Unbroken, it has to follow the facts and it can't deviate too you much. You can follow the facts and still have a great film and there's going to be one we talk about later that does. So Ah, uh, OK. All so right, there. Kristen. So, so we've got a split decision on that one. Yeah. OK, interesting. All right. But still, even though I really like that movie – not really a Christmas movie, no, is American it? American Sniper. Not a feel-good <laughs> holiday film. <laughs> Definitely not. <laughs> all right. Uh, one more shot to see if this is the Christmas movie that you all want. Big Eyes, the new Tim Burton film. You know, Big Eyes is one of those movies that I've been really curious about. You've been talking up this movie for a while, Rafer. I have. I haven't seen it. Tell us about it. Okay. So as many people probably know by now uh, from the trailers, this is the story of Margaret Keene. She was the painter who we now know is behind those Big Eyes paintings. Oh, those... We had some in my bedroom with my sister and I Did growing you? up. They were terrifying. <laughs> those giant yeah. paintings. Oh, my God. They the... took them down. We, we moved from one house to another when I think I was four. And fortunately, the paintings didn't come with because oh. as a... As a three, four-year-old, I found those paintings terrifying. They could be worth a lot of money by now. Oh you might God. have left some money on the table <laughs> at this point. Well, uh, you, as people will probably know, it's, it's the, uh, these are the paintings of those kind of feathery-haired, bedraggled, saucer-eyed moppets. They're crying. often they're, – yeah, they're, they're either they're, – they're often holding kittens or crying or both. And they've got these giant, giant eyes that take up like a third of their of their <laughs> head space. And they're enormous. Um, they became hugely popular in the 60s. Um, but back then, it was her husband, uh, Walter Keene, who was taking all the credit. Nobody knew that Margaret Keene was the actual painter. Uh, it was a different time. Women weren't considered to be painters. It, they would sell better if, uh, if it was a man making them. And he took all the credit, and it was only much, much later that she finally stood up and claimed ownership of her work. Here's a clip. Why are their eyes so big? Like big, stale jelly beans. It's expressionism. It's not art. It's not art. It's like the back of a magazine, you know, draw the turtle, send in a nickel, win the big contest. How dare you? Lots of people will like this. Well, nobody who's walking through the doors of this gallery. I just love that Christoph Waltz and that, oh, I, and Jason Schwartzman. You know I love him. Jason Schwartzman plays a gallery owner uh, in this film who has perhaps a handful of lines and they're just all priceless they are just he just he appears at exactly the right moment throughout the film and will say one line and it's just a gut buster he's so funny but uh the the two actors in this film christoph waltz as margaret Keene is uh, excuse me as walter Keene is just fantastic i have read some reviews saying that people are getting a little sick of the of the christoph waltz uh the kind of scenery chewing thing. i love his thing it's a great performance from him he's hilarious he's funny uh and amy adams is really good as margaret Keene. I just I love this movie because it looks great. It takes place in San Francisco in the 60s back just as the counterculture is starting to come forward, but not quite. And Margaret Keene is really just this kind of, you know, bouffanted housewife who's wandering around in Bohemia all of a sudden and uh, gets swept up in the in the in the scene, but somehow can't be a part of it because she's just a housewife. She's just a woman. She can't be a real painter. Her art is not real art. And she has to eventually stand up. 
in a fantastic climactic scene, she has to stand up and prove that, yes, she was the one who made all these paintings. It's it's funny. It's uplifting. It's inspirational. It's got a great feminist edge. The costumes are great. And I have to say it's great to see Tim Burton not get all cartoony, freaky Johnny Depp in a costume anymore. (laughs) I get so tired of that stuff. And he's made a great, straightforward, fun biopic. I don't know if this is going to happen, but I feel like this has got the possibility of becoming the next King's Speech. I don't know if that means best picture. I don't know if that means Oscar potential. But in terms of a crowd pleaser, that one movie that everyone's going to love and want to see and come out feeling good and spread word of mouth... I think this could be the movie. Wow. That's what I think. I'm so excited. This sounds like my Christmas movie this year. You've got got to let me know what you think. I I, I feel like you'll like it. I'm so excited about this. I'm so excited about it. You've said nothing but good things about Big Eyes, and I am excited to... It's it's on my top 10. Definitely on my top 10 for the year. Excellent. Well, there's one other movie that's getting a lot of buzz right now that we're going to talk about. Tons of buzz about Selma. Now, this follows Martin Luther King Jr. during those few months in Selma where he was really organizing for the vote down there. And, you know, voting, of course, everyone has the right to vote at this point in U.S. history, supposedly, but, you know, the way... Yes, in reality. In reality, how how people were being bullied and kept away from the polls if they were black in the South. And so Martin Luther King Jr., organizers with SNCC, um, the U.S. government, including... Um, Lyndon Johnson. We have all of these different figures who are dealing with what this issue is and trying to change things in their own ways. Here's a clip. We will not wait any longer. Give us the vote. That's right. No more. We're not asking. We're demanding. Give us the vote. So I guess the first thing we should say is um, David Oyelowo plays uh, Martin Luther King. Um, David Oyelowo is a great actor. I, oh, I didn't, he's fantastic. I didn't really – I'd seen him sort of flickering in and out of movies for a while, but I didn't really sit up and take notice until I saw him in The Butler. You loved him because he's one of the sons in The Butler. Right. And um, I still remember vividly you saying he might be the only reason to see this movie. He is. You he, loved yeah, him. The, I think that movie would have been nothing without him. Um, and with his character, who was actually kind of a fictional invented character. But David Oyelowo, I just thought, was just riveting in that movie. What did you think about him in this fairly momentous role playing Martin Luther King? I have to say, I actually sometimes felt I was watching Martin Luther King Jr. It actually felt like this is Dr. King. And there's something about how he carries himself, how he gives these speeches, the physicality of him, his kind of baby face with that mustache. Mm -hmm. Because he looks so young. Yes. And, you know, I forget that during this whole era, he was only in his 30s. Yeah. He was younger than me, younger than you, Rafer. He was, yeah. you know, just think, wow, he was changing the whole world, getting Nobel Prizes. And yeah. he was in his 30s. It's amazing. And, you know, I, I think not just him, but a lot of the other supporting characters do a great job. The uh, actress who plays his wife, Carmen Ajogo, is uh-huh. that how you pronounce her name? I think that's right, yeah. Um, she plays Coretta Scott King. I yeah. think she does a really great job also. Yeah. And we I thought also... that role was a little thinly drawn, but I, but she does do a good job in the role. Yeah, with what she has, she does a good job. But I have to say, I wasn't sure going into this. I'm very suspicious of biopics, as you know. Yeah, but me too. Because it's so focused on just this one time. Right. I think they do a pretty good job of keeping it focused. I think that they could have trimmed another 20 minutes off of it. I don't think it has to be quite as long as it is. Oh, wow. But I do think for the most part, it's focused and 
I could really be riveted by it. And warning to listeners, some of the scenes of violence are just really rough, yeah. shocking, heartbreaking, but also very effective. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I wound up uh, against, against expectations. I wound up really liking this movie. Um, you know, going in, I just thought this is exactly the kind of movie I never like. You know, you take, you take this big, big, big historical, emotionally fraught moment or person and you try to make a biopic out of it and you try to squeeze everything you can into it and, and you know, you play up the violins and the slow motion and, and overdo it. And this movie does a tiny bit of that here and there, but really I felt that it was more of like a biopic about, about the movement and the moment. And I liked all these scenes where you feel like you're just with Martin Luther King in his inner circle looking at the reality of what they were facing, the entrenched racism, the political difficulties. You know, Tom Wilkinson plays uh, President Johnson who wants to help him out but he's basically keeps saying, oh, you know, be patient, be patient. My hands are tied. I, there's only this so much I can year. do. I have this on my plate this year. Next year, what about right, this? Right, right. Yeah. You know, and Martin Luther King is saying, you know, I, you know, I, I feel you, Mr. President, but, you know, we're not doing that. You know, we're going to go forward and we're basically going to make your life hell until you give us what we want. Um, so you see all these pressures coming to bear on him and how he holds up, um, you know, de black deaths, white deaths, you know, just death everywhere. And my one thing about David Oyelowo's performance is I feel like on the day-to-day -day level, sort of in his, his you know, day-to-day -day life scenes, he's a little low energy. Um, you know, he has this kind of cloud of doom hanging over him, which sometimes feels a little not that fun to watch. But on the other hand, whenever he gets on in front of, in front of a microphone, in front of a crowd, oh, he just blows the roof off the place. I mean, you can feel like you know the hair on the back of your neck just stands up. He's so good, He's so good. And ultimately, I just thought there was a lot of detail, a lot of information. I could see this becoming like one of the definitive, like you know, show this in high school movies, a, a definitive film about the civil rights movement. I thought it was a great date. I loved Selma. I thought Selma was a very good date. Like you didn't I like said, it I, quite as much as I did. I think that I would have liked to have about 20 minutes trimmed off of it because some of those inner circle it's conversations not that long, actually, that movie. don't need to be there. I, I, I thought some of those inner circle conversations could have been trimmed a little bit. But huh. overall, a very, very good date. Okay. All, All right. right. But we'd be negligent not to talk about one more date, and I know listeners might be tired of this movie now, the interview. It's actually going to be in theaters after all. Oh, my all. God. They're playing it in theaters after <laughs> all. About 300 theaters across the country are going to be playing the interview, as it turns out. Oh, after all the back and forth and the hullabaloo, and the theaters aren't going to show it. They're too scared. Sony's pulling it. Oh, no, actually, theaters are going to show it. That's right. That's right. Mm -hmm. Well, once President Obama steps in and says, you've got to show this movie, I guess Sony decided, okay, we'll show the movie. Uh, you know, I think people are, you know, um, trumpeting this as some big, you know, uh, uh, victory for freedom of speech and patriotism. Uh, quick plug for myself. I was just on CNN last night talking oh, about you this. Were? Yeah, I was, on the, I was awesome. on the Awesome. How did I not know that? <laughs> it happened kind of at the last minute. I was on the Don Lemon show. That's so um, cool. It was hilarious. Oh, my God. So, but there were, so cool. There was people on the show saying, you know, this is this is a really, you know, feel good moment and we can all feel good about ourselves. And I kind of feel like, I understand that, you know, yes, we should be able to show whatever we want to show. And it's certainly awful that we let some other country bully us into not showing the film. So that's great. And I'm all for freedom of speech. I certainly wish the film had been better and that it'd be the kind of film you could get behind and actually make you feel like, okay, you know, I can actually support this movie. 
I just feel like I'm supporting the principle. I'm not supporting the movie at all. So this is not your Christmas movie. Pick. This is definitely not my Christmas movie. I think we made a decision. The movie that would be on the top of our list that's the most Christmassy of all the movies is Big Eyes. I think, I think it's Big Eyes, and you'll have to see it and tell me if you agree. All right. Well, I'm excited to. But some people aren't going to leave their houses. Some people aren't going to go to the theaters. Some people are going to stay home in their sweatpants. You're wearing sweatpants. It's Monday. Am I the Queen of England? I don't know. Does the Queen of England only wear sweatpants? When you are a man, sometimes you wear stretchy pants in your room. All right, Rafer. For our our big sweatpants conversation this week, we're going to be talking about something that is in heavy rotation on TV right now that's available online. You can see this everywhere. Many of you listening probably have already seen this a hundred times. Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, which is celebrating its 50th anniversary this year. That's right. 1964, it was first aired. The old uh, Rankin-Bass animated special, stop-motion animation. Uh, Arthur Rankin Jr. just died this year as well. He was Mm. 80 years old. So sad. The end of an era because, you know, for a lot of us, that's how we remember Christmas is so much through these specials. And Santa Claus is coming to town. And, I mean, there were several of them. Oh, there's a million. Oh, so good. So good. So, Rafer, walk us through for people who may not remember, what is the plot of Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer? Well, do you, do you remember? So he, he had a very shiny nose. As, <laughs> that's, it's like a red light bulb. It's like, <laughs> you, would even, light bulb. you would even say, okay, I won't, I won't, I won't keep doing that. <laughs> uh, but it's basically, you know, you, we all know the Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer song. Um, this is the dramatized version. Uh, there's a subplot thrown in involving Herbie, the elf. He's also a, a misfit, much like Rudolph is. The two of them decide to leave Santa's uh, North Pole facilities, strike out on their own because nobody seems to accept them or want them. Uh, you may remember that Rudolph wasn't allowed to join in any reindeer games at all. So they decide to go out on their own adventure. There's an abominable snowman. They meet a, a, a prospector. They meet the island of misfit toys. Eventually, they get to come back, back to Santa's village, and everyone sees that they've treated these two misfits harshly. And I don't think I'm spoiling anything. Rudolph gets to guide the actual sled that night. Oh, you ruined it. Oh, I ruined it. Spoiler. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. (laughs) Let's play a clip. Well, hi there. Aren't you the sturdy little fellow? (laughs) Santa. (laughs) And smart, too. Great bouncing iceberg. Now, I'm sure he'll stop as soon as he grows up, Santa. Well, let's hope so if he wants to make the sleigh team someday. That's a clip of Santa being a real jerk. Yeah. I just have to say, and I cannot understate this, Santa and all the other grown men who are in charge of this universe are horrible people. They're, they They're are so horrible. Jerks. I think that was one of the things that is really interesting about Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer as, a, as an animated Christmas special. It really has this feeling of like... An early countercultural movie. I, 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 it's like it's like a it's like the unsung counterculture classic of the '60s that no one ever lumps in with things like The Graduate and, e- and Easy Rider. <laughs> but I'm telling you, that strain is there. This was this is the, one of the first movies I can think of from the '60s where there's like a clear patriarchy. There's an establishment, right? The the coach, Comet, the oh, reindeer, such a jerk. This, I mean, before, it's hard to think of other movies at this date in, in the early 60s where the coach was not your 
friend. He was, you know, the, the coach was usually your buddy, your, your, your second father figure. Here's, here he's your oppressor. He's your tormentor. Hey, boys, if you can't do this right, you're not going to do it at all. No but, one's going to be in my reindeer games who are like you. Exactly, yeah. exactly. And then uh, Rudolph's dad is, this, is the same way. Donner, you know, as soon as he sees his, uh, his, his son's nose glowing, he says something like, you know, no buck of mine is going to have a nose like that. And no, he, we're going to cover that up. And yeah. You're not going to be allowed in public looking like that. Right. But, but and, do, I don't know if all the deer talk like my. They all pretty much talk like yeah. that. I think, I think you've got it nailed pretty well, actually. You know, there's a scene where uh, uh, Clarice, uh, Rudolph's girlfriend, and, uh, and Rudolph's mother get together, and they decide to go look for Rudolph. Um, but before they do that, uh, Donner forbids them. He says, no, this is man's work. <laughs> And he goes out. And I feel like there are all these strains in the movie that are basically saying, you know, the man, the man is wrong. You know, we're going to, we got to, you know, we've got to, we've got to overthrow the system and find a better way. This is a plea for tolerance and a plea for a seat at the table, just like Selma was, just like all the counterculture movies were. You know, this is an oppressive society. We've got to get out from under it and change things. So I, I want to say every time I watch this movie, I cry during the Island of Misfit Toys scene. Oh, it's, it's wonderful, it's isn't it? It's so heartbreaking because in addition to touching on all these issues that you're discussing right now, Rafer, about counterculture and about rising up and taking over from the patriarchy and so on, you also see this oppression. You see how people are segregated and isolated. And they're not people. They're toys. But right. something is wrong with you. And who decided you don't fit in? Santa. That's right. Yes, Santa. Oh, right. Santa is so The man. The man decided. Yes. It's so awful. So you see some people breaking off and trying to be free and forge a new path. And then you see those who are just so oppressed that they're segregated on their own islands and feel hopeless and can't do anything about it, which I think is really capturing a lot of the population at that time. You remember there was the uh, the train with square wheels. Um, oh, remember yeah. that? And then, but then there was the little. Remember the little girl, the little doll. There was yes. a. There was always a I question. I love that little doll. Like, what's wrong with this doll? She well, was like, a rag doll, but I don't remember what was wrong with her. Exactly. Do you want me to tell you what? So. Uh, Arthur Rankin uh, Jr., uh, later, much later, uh, because this question kept coming up about how, like, what was the matter with that doll? She seems fine. Mm-hmm. Um, so Arthur Rankin finally said this, quote, she was cast off by her mistress and clinically depressed, and they didn't have Prozac back then. <laughs> so there you go. Straight from the creator, Arthur Rankin Jr. Wow. It all makes sense now. <laughs> now it all becomes clear. It all clear. makes sense. <laughs> well, and of course, we're overlooking Herbie the elf, who I think for many years has been understood to be gay. And fabulous. Look and, at that hair. Gay and fabulous. <laughs> <laughs> and abfab. Uh, yeah. So, I, you know, I just feel like you, you, weren't, you, know, you weren't seeing stuff like this in the 60s uh, before Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. I'm not saying it's the shot that launched uh, the, 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 the youth movement, but I do feel like it, it, you can see that little strain in there. And I, I just I love Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. Oh, I love it, too. So that is our sweatpants pick for the week. And we highly recommend you rewatch it. And Look at it through the lens of history and what was happening at the time. All right, Rafer, as usual, we have to wrap things up with some trivia, don't we? We sure do. So last week we were talking about uh, Annie, the new, the new Annie. With, with Quivenzene Wallace. That's right. And Jamie Foxx as William Stax. Mm-hmm. So uh, Kristen, in her inimitable way, because she's such a Broadway person, she went back and realized that uh, the original Annie, the, the, the Broadway play, had launched the career of several movie stars. We picked one, and we played you this clip. Together. 
asked you to identify that very young future movie star, and here is the right answer. Hey, Kristen. Hey, Rafa. It's Mindy in New York. I'm calling to answer the trivia question, and the answer, I believe, is Sarah Jessica Parker, and, you know, not because I recognize her voice, but more so because I remember her saying something about her being on Annie uh, way back when in a, uh, a show that she was on. That's it. Bye. Great job, Minnie. Wonderful. Nice That's to hear great. from you again, Minnie. Yeah. Now, we get lots and lots of calls every week at 5717movies. We can only randomly pick one, and maybe we'll pick you this week. We're going to play a clip of a holiday classic, not Rudolph, a different one. We're going to play a clip of a holiday classic, and we want you to tell us what this holiday TV special is. Here's the clip. <laughs> <laughs> hey, hey, listen. You hear that? Yeah. It's the heavenly intonations of the Del Rubio triplets. Again, you can call us at 5717movies if you know what this holiday special is. Or you can visit us at facebook.com slash movie date podcast. Merry Christmas, everybody. Merry Christmas. Happy holidays. Walking in the winter wonderland. Going away.